Hello, everybody. I'm Robert Polly, and it's time for the 7th Avenue Project. It is also the time of year for the Cabrillo Festival of Contemporary Music, which just commenced its 50th season. The Cabrillo Festival runs for the next two weeks here in Santa Cruz, California. And I, for one, benefit because it gives me a chance to meet and talk to some really interesting musicians and composers on this show. And wouldn't you know it, I have got one on the program today. He's John Wineglass, both a musician and a composer. Though he's spent most of his life on the East Coast, he's currently based in the Monterey Bay area, and he stopped by our studio here a couple of weeks ago when we recorded the conversation that I'm going to air today. John has written a new orchestral work commissioned for the Cabrillo Festival. It's called Someone Else's Child, and it's based on the poems of kids in the Santa Cruz Juvenile Hall. It has its world premiere at the festival on Saturday, August 4th at the Santa Cruz Civic Auditorium. And John and I discussed it toward the end of our interview. But first we talked about his day-to-day work as a session musician. He plays violin, viola, and piano, and as a composer of soundtracks for film and TV. John, first of all, thanks for coming in. Cool. Thanks for having me. Um, I want to show off your versatility to, to begin in this interview. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so we're going to play a few samples off of uh, a CD. And this is this is clearly stuff that you've uh, composed for soundtracks of various kinds. Yeah? Oh, yeah. So here we go. Well, I'm definitely picking up a sense of suspense and drama. I can't guess what kind of movie or TV show that might have gone with. <laughs> Want to give me a clue? <laughs> to tell you the truth, ma'am, I've written so much music. Oh, you music. don't even know anymore. <laughs> I mean, that's that's definitely uh, music from All My Children. Oh, um, soaps? Daytime soaps? Yeah, yeah. How about this one? How about this one? heard that somewhere is that like the closing music of some news show or is it it could have gotten licensed someplace but i know specifically i wrote that for an american red cross psa it was like a tornado hurricane scene Uh uh-huh okay let's see now i'm gonna take my own guess at this next one here Oh, boy. It's got to be some kind of wacky <laughs> comedy thing, like European-sounding. Uh, well, that's from Headlines and Legends with Matt Lauer, MSNBC. It was the Brady Bunch episode. <laughs> that's where that's from. Okay, I'm batting zero at this point. Let me keep <laughs> so, going here. But you're close. Okay, you know, Hootenanny... I don't know what show this is for. Okay, now that was for the purposes of the uh, demo, actually. <laughs> oh, just to show that you could do it. Exactly. You could do that hoedown stuff. Exactly. That's me on violin. That's me Yahoo in there. That was you Yahooing? Oh, it sure is. <laughs> Boy, you can get pretty country there. All right, now here's a real change of pace. Uh, Earth has been destroyed. Everyone's dead except for one guy, right? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, sort of, kind of. This is another All My Children episode, and it's Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Okay, our, our hero has infiltrated the enemy's jungle compound, right? It's definitely something superhero. I can't remember exactly where, but uh, it's been a while, man. It's a ton of music. Oh, a bittersweet love story set in like uh, 1890. Pretty much, it's a waltz, and it's a it's from my piano suite, piano suite number one. That I wrote a couple of years ago. Oh, so it's not soundtrack? No. Oh my gosh. Uh, we're in Spain. <laughs> I see a bullfighter entering the bullring. No? It's another All My Children uh, deal. Great guitar player, Jeff Miranoff. That's a one take right there, by the way. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's phenomenal. And then this one. Merengue. Yeah. What's yep. going on here? This is club music. Again for the show? Yep. And the, the vocals are folks from Mark Anthony's band. Um, we had Tito Puentes guys play the brass. They did all the horn parts. And they just wanted background music that they could play in a club. So we just went in and just started coming up with stuff. <laughs> okay, now we're going into more of a slow groove here. A bit hip hoppy. Yeah, it's a hip hop deal. I, I cannot tell you what this is from. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right, how about this? You tried to be a bad boy, but I invented crew. Oh my god. Very gosh, funky. You're taking me back, bro. This is an artist that I was working with in New York City. Her name was Tara. And she had a couple of songs that she wanted to do. And we just kind of tracked them in a studio in Brooklyn. Brought some brass guys in and, and just had fun. Well, we could keep going forever. Um, I'll just play one more just to show again uh, your unlimited range here. <laughs> You're killing me. Now, this is from my string quartet. This is the uh, third movement, and it's kind of a Celtic kind of Scottish feel. sounding, yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. See, I, I thought all this was soundtrack music, so every one of them I was trying to invent a TV show. And or... all of them have been used in some form of television, for sure. Like, I've licensed, like, my string quartets and stuff for for shows. So uh -huh. they have been used either as what we call source music, which is music when you walk into a scene, you hear music on a radio, or you hear music in the scene that's in the narrative of the show. Sure. Um, a lot of that music has been used as that instead of more so underscore which is music that supports the narrative you understand what i'm saying i got you yeah okay. so the question <clears throat> that i've been wondering as i listen to all those pieces and by the way that the cd from which these are taken has no less than 60 of these fragments <laughs> right. covering again everything there's science fiction sounds <laughs> right. there is you know 18th century drawing rooms quartets there uh there's funk and there's blues and there's jazz <laughs> and there's hip-hop and there's all kinds of schmaltzy stuff for yep, soap operas. Totally. <laughs> Absolutely. Every mood, every kind of ensemble, you know, just about every genre. So the question is, how does one guy 
do that without going nuts. <laughs> How does one guy do it without going nuts? I mean, exactly. My sanity. My yeah, sanity. yeah, yeah. I, um, I've been asked to do a lot of various things, man. Um, next week, I'm doing live concert with El Devo. This is like a pop opera group. And the next week, I'm doing the Carmel Bach Festival. I don't know. I I think I, if I had it any other way, it, it would probably drive me crazy. <laughs> so, um, but you're a working uh, composer and musician, and and this variety obviously means that you're getting work, right, right? And that's kind of wonderful, right? And as a film composer, that's a lot of the real successful guys. You know, much on a higher level than I am for sure. Uh, that's that's their deal. I mean, you look at people like um, Jerry Goldsmith, who I studied with for a summer. Um, out in the USC, um, <clears throat> very prolific and very versatile. As a chameleon, you never know what you're getting. You know. That's another word I thought of, along with schizophrenic, is chameleon. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I take all of those as <laughs> a compliment. As Freudian uh, <laughs> compliments, <laughs> exactly. Uh, um, John, I was reading your biography, so I knew that you, you know, partly made a living, you know, doing soundtracks and scores and things. Um, Multiple Emmy Awards. Mm-hmm. Three? Yes. For and, for what? Um, and seven nominations for various shows, for various um, daytime TV shows. Uh, and, for the scores for those daytime soaps, mostly? Mm-hmm. All My Children, uh, As the World Turns, Guiding Light. Those are shows, uh, One Life, shows that were shot in New York. But All My Children is really my... That's where I spent that a was lot your of my baby. years. Exactly. That was your child. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, all my children. <laughs> yeah, all my <laughs> we could call this all your children. All these songs. So, so how does it work, though? I mean, um, you're obviously known. People say, you know, we need a guy to create a soundtrack. We've got a new show. Right. How do they come to you? What do they bring to you? And what do you then do to create something like this? In this field, it's it's all about personal relationships. Uh huh. So, um, in film scoring, um. Alan Silvestri has Rob Zemeckis, you know, John Williams had Lucas and Spielberg, um, Mark Mancina, Antoine Fuqua, um, you know, they have very tight relationships with the directors and you, and you have a trust level that's developed. Mm-hmm. So that's really how the work comes. You, you get you to know, know a director. <clears throat> yeah. You don't have agents who go out there like, you know, in films, like for actors who find work for you. You know, um, those agencies don't do that. They will negotiate your contracts, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. I go to Sundance Film Festival. I'm there a lot. I've had a couple of films premiered there. Um, and then you just develop relationships with directors, producers, um, even line producers, you know, uh-huh. and music supervisors. And that's how these projects have come. And at the same time, some people have heard my work, and I get a phone call. You know, like right now I'm working on an industrial film um, for a doctor who was out of UPenn on the creation of DNA. Um, so it's it's animated and everything. And he heard my music and contacted me directly. Wow. So so how does it work? Does does the uh, the client come to you and say, uh, you know, we'd like you to score this, and here it is, take a look, and just whatever comes to mind, go ahead and, and write it. I mean, so you're going to watch this DNA film, and you're going to say, Wow, what is the emotional feeling I'm getting from these uh, diagrams of DNA dividing? Right, yeah? right, right, right. <laughs> Pretty much, that's it. I mean, um, so how's it working out? Are you you got some strong out. musical senses for, yeah, for well, DNA? Yeah, I've, I've been working with them for the last year, uh-huh. so which is often always tough because when you start writing, then they change how it's going to look, and that changes the the sound for me. 
Um, so a lot of times I like to wait until I get a final edit of the film and then start literally really writing. And so now I'm at that phase. Now we've reached that point and, and, and that's where we are now. Um, so a lot of indie films, that's the process. And I kind of like that world because you can be actually a lot more creative um, than the big Hollywood films. Mm -hmm. A lot mm -hmm. of times those, I mean, I have a ton of friends who work on those films and and orchestrators and these days it's a bit of a sweatshop. Mm, yeah, I wanted to ask you, what's <clears throat> what's good about it, what's bad about it? Some of the good stuff, obviously a paycheck, steady work. Yeah, um, <clears throat> let's be diplomatic about no, this. No, no, don't, uh, don't, 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 please, <laughs> please. This isn't hurt in Hollywood. <laughs> None of it's gonna come back to bite you, I well. promise. <laughs> let's just say artistic films or independent films are music that is is less formulaic than your big Superman Hollywood films. Here comes the you know the guy in the sky kind of thing, and right. it's the you know uh, typical theme. Not knocking those themes. Yeah, I mean those themes have you know the, the one thing that's great about composers like Williams um, are that when you hear the music, you instantly have that character in your mind and that's the that's the job of a film composer sonic branding exactly that's exactly <laughs> it i mean exactly when you hear the music like in the carmel bach festival one of my things that i do in, in my lectures is i start playing theme songs and then i ask an audience member where's that song from you know and they immediately go back oh god to, yeah. oh yeah i speak at different schools and i'll go to kids who are in high school and i'll go back and do a theme from the brady bunch or do something from gilligan's island and they'll actually know which is odd you know i mean that just tells you the extent of cable tv and how that's mm -hmm. grown and 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 it's made those audience even aware of that music back then so so, <clears throat> so undoubtedly some of your music is knocking around in the heads of tv viewers Mm -hmm. uh, whether they know where that came from or not, they've still got that tune embedded there. Right. I'm sure the people who watched uh, All My Children or watch All My Children, is it still on? Uh, it's in syndication. In syndication. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yes. well, you're already invading their brains with your, with <laughs> right. your theme music. But it's the kind of music where um, usually people don't know the name of the person who composed it, so it's anonymous. Exactly. Is that kind of disappointing in a way? No. <laughs> <laughs> You'd rather not be associated with it? No, it's just, I mean, the paycheck's the same <laughs> as if it were not, you know. Uh, you know, but it's, I think for me what's disappointing in the, in the major motion pictures is that, you know, I, probably 20 years ago you would see the list of musicians in a score. Mm -hmm. I mean, they would name mm -hmm. the piccolo player and the flute player, and now that's all been replaced with ILM and visual effects and, you know, and yeah. the score, hello, is the thing that drives it. If you've ever watched a film, and my friend Alan Silvestri does this a lot of times, he'll, he'll show clips from film, major films he's done, at like Forrest Gump, and um, he'll show the scene without the music. And, and, and when you put the music in, it just, it just breathes life into the whole deal. You know, it's it's a it's the third axis of 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 sound when it comes to film. There's foley, dialogue, and music, mm -hmm. and uh, music is very vital. You know, if it's not there, it there's no way. There's no emotional connection to the visuals. So, you know, I don't understand why. Um, you know, yes, they give credit to the composer usually in the head title or even at the end, but those musicians, the musicians who, now you'll never know who they are, who are unbelievable. 
you know. And, and a lot of the, the pieces on the soundtrack, I mean, I'm one of those guys who stays through the entire credits in order to see what the music was. Exactly. And then it rushes past, you right, know, and it's right. gone. You can't possibly read all the credits. Nope. Yeah, it's kind of sad that way. And then if you go searching for that information elsewhere, it's often hard to find. Right. Um, how did you develop, though, that, that musical range? Um, what is your background musically? <laughs> I know this much about you. You're from Washington, <laughs> D.C., right? <laughs> yes. So I what do. music did you grow up with? You know, I grew up in the church, you know, but we had a lot of music. Um, I had this life in contemporary gospel and white contemporary Christian music, but then I had this classical background as well that I was started violin and viola at the age of six. So I had these worlds kind of chugging along together for years, all the way into high school. When you say together, they were almost parallel tracks, right? I exactly. mean, the two didn't really overlap that much. They didn't overlap at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Yeah. But, you know, at, at you know at my church, often we have Andre Crouch come in mm. and sing. You know, we'd mm. have, we've had a stage where Stevie Wonder has come in. Oh, and, my gosh. And, uh, this is a big church. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a huge <laughs> church back home. Um, but we would have the greatest of the great as far. And then even on your white contemporary side, you have Bill Gates you know who's huge and the guy has 150 million gold and platinum records no one would ever ever know that no you know but he's he's major i mean he's and so you have these guys that that when i was a young kid i'd be sitting on the piano and and watching them play or learning how to play and learning their styles um and um so did you sing in church or did you play no i just played i was we had a church orchestra i would play i was six years old playing violin uh-huh and uh and then i kind of moved into keyboards i learned keyboards and i have perfect pitch so i started learning keyboards and in, in, in church that way and then i started touring when i was 11 with the youth orchestra wow so we'd go over to korea for you know or soviet union former soviet union um, Yugoslavia, the former Yugoslavia, we'd go uh, to China and, and, and see the world. And that was kind of a thing. That was my purpose in practicing when I was six, because I got into that orchestra. It took me five years. <laughs> uh, and this is what, what youth orchestra? Uh, the DC Youth Orchestra okay. in Washington, DC. And you played uh, violin, viola? Uh, viola, viola, viola. Yeah, I was a violist. In your bio, it says you've played for every president since uh, Ronald Reagan and for Mikhail Gorbachev yeah, 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 and yeah. other famous heads of state. Was that with the youth orchestra? With the youth orchestra and then just being in Washington, D.C. Um, you know, there's NBC Row. I went to American University for my undergrad, and NBC Row's right there. Uh-huh. And so a lot of times I had a, I had a quartet called the Capitol Consort. Oh, my gosh, you're taking me back, dude. <laughs> and But, I mean, we did a lot of gigs in D.C. I mean, when oh, I yeah. got, you know, when even I was in school, in college, I mean, I, I made a living gigging around the city, and these were various... Sort of fancy functions? Yeah, I used to do all of the music for Senator Jay Rockefeller at his house. So I was in charge of doing all his music. Like, all his soirees? So all his soirees. So <laughs> we'd have a string quartet, typically. Then we would have, <laughs> oh, you know, Yanni would come in and, and, and play. or And then we did a lot of Democratic conventions. with. Uh, so I got to jam with Bill Clinton, he came and he was. We it was like a ten thousand dollar plate dinner. Uh, and and, and uh, <clears throat> I imagine you were very politic and said, "Great job, <laughs> totally in tune." Uh. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a saxophone and everything. <laughs> And, you know, it was a thing that uh, D.C. provided that background. I mean, everybody comes there and they have parties uh-huh, <laughs> or yeah, they have yeah. inaugurations, you know, so. You must have some great behind the scenes stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of, lot of interesting. Are you sworn to secrecy? Uh, some of them, yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I'll never forget when uh, um, Aretha Franklin sat me on her lap. <laughs> uh, said, come go here. on. She said, come here, baby. Um, and, you know, she's pretty well endowed. And uh, I was kind of like the third head. <laughs> but she was like a mother, you know. And, and, and my girlfriend at the time, who is my wife now, um, she, she, I got her backstage pages, I was, I was, um, passes to come and do be involved in the video. Um, but we did about three shows in Baltimore and DC. You were part of uh, the band with, with the band. Yeah. And you were band. playing what? I was playing viola. I was playing in the orchestra for Aretha. Yeah. For Aretha Franklin. Oh my God. Did Pink Cadillac and, and all those, those great tunes, all the hits. Man. Respect. I'm sure. Yeah. Oh yes, dude. It was uh. just, yeah, that was, that was definitely a highlight, but that was one of my backstories. I kind of. Sat in her lap and ended up, you know, yeah. <laughs> but she's like a mother. She's, she's. I I always heard she was kind of shy. Um, not, not with you. No, <laughs> I, I think backstage, <clears throat> and this is this is uh, about ten years ago. You know, uh, she didn't act very shy back then. No. Wow. She had a son who plays guitar. Awesome guitar player. And, oh wow! Um, well, she's from a, quite a family. Uh, some other names on your your resume here. You backed Whitney Houston. Yep, yeah, yep. We did, did a concert at Constitution Hall, and uh, I was in the string section for that. And and um, uh, she she was amazing. I mean, Whitney was was the real deal. I mean, she she was a diva, of course, and that that's not not a negative thing. In, mm. in her case, she was mm. she's very personable. Mm -hmm. um, Vanessa Williams, same thing. Mm. Um, I remember her. Where we 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 were in New Jersey somewhere, and um, all my boys they played in her band and everything, and I was there. And she just invited me into her dressing room. Oh, come on in, guys! Mm. I'm like, wow, this is like the Vanessa Williams, mm. like you know. Mm. And so a lot of times, you know, in their comfort zones, those people are very comfortable and they're very like Aretha. I would never consider shy maybe in the public yeah you know yeah. as far as interviews and stuff right like that. that's but what i was thinking yeah backstage she's backstage. like your family um so you're you're part of a you know ensemble <coughs> that gets pulled together for a specific gig backing someone or maybe a tour right mm -hmm. right is that a high pressure situation i mean you guys really have to be on your game right uh yeah <laughs> yeah it, i mean it becomes the norm uh -huh. I mean, it's just kind of the norm. A lot of times you don't get the music till you're there, right? In in rehearsal, and um, yeah, it's it's definitely high, like next week with El Devo will be high pressure because <laughs> <laughs> they have one concert where it's just me on piano and the four of them singing, and then there's two concerts where it's full orchestra and I'll be on piano though. So, uh, but it's we have the music in advance, um, but it's still you know, you know, it's going to be in a stadium and. Yeah, just get the job done. But that kind of um, <clears throat> musicianship, being a session person or being a, a backing musician like that who's pulled in for a specific engagement, you just really have to be able to switch it on, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Almost instantly. Yes. Is that something that you attribute to having just started young and really just being steeped in music? Yeah. I um, And I would say from, from my church tradition, I mean... A lot of times, especially, I kind of grew up in a non-denominational kind of deal, but huh. with kind of a, you know, just fancy... So it wasn't like AME or something? Oh, no, no, no. Uh -huh. But it had those influences. Uh -huh. Actually, it was a it was a white pastor <clears throat> who opened a church in the inner city. Uh-huh. Um, and so we had a very eclectic, you know, plethora of 
genres and a lot of times you were thrown into those situations to learn now if you didn't have the chops so again you were sat down <laughs> you know but if they believe that you could do what you needed to be able to do then then you were you were you were thrown in those situations to do work i remember there was a situation where donnie mcclerkin who's a very well-known gospel artist and he came in town but his keyboardist ended up late on the flight so in, who ended up opening at least the in beginning sessions of uh, of the concert uh-oh. Myself. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and they look to you and expect it to happen. Oh, yeah. You know? So it's good to do your homework on an artist. And the standards are high. Yeah. I mean, I think the black church in uh -huh. America, you know, was the um, was the sort of um, the incubator for the greatest vocal talent, you know, of the last century, you know, from... I mean, going all the way back, but then you think of the great generation of soul singers. They all came up in the church. You know your history. Yeah, yeah you do. <laughs> but I just think of it as one of the world's greatest music conservatories, really. You're taking the words right out of my <laughs> my dissertation idea. Dude. Oh, is that right? You're killing me. I'm, I'm writing a book about it, literally. Oh, you are? Well, i got to do the research first, but... But it's basically about the that education uh -huh. that, that happens, because even when you go to the the R and B acts that are out there, you go to Usher, mm -hmm. the guys that are playing for these big R and B acts, they all they still have it have that background at some point. Mm -hmm. They're they're you're, you're brought to that because it's it, and this is going into my dissertation. But, <laughs> but are you working on for a PhD now? Uh, uh yeah the the uh, at some point I've been having a bit of a career these <laughs> past seven years. I was supposed to go seven years ago, but then moved out here to California and work uh -huh. started just coming. Um, but I, you know, plan to study at USC or UCLA, mm. um, and for the premise of this dissertation and these ideas we're talking about, mm -hmm. um, but, um, there's a language, there's a harmonic language to classical music and there's a harmonic language to jazz and there's a harmonic language to gospel music mm. and, and that hasn't really been codified yet. Hasn't it? Well, no. when you do that, you're going to come back on this show. Uh, you are. <laughs> it you might are. be a few years from yeah, now. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had the um, biographer of Sam Cooke, Peter Guralnik, on the show years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a good one. And it talks about his, I think it talks about his years in the church in Chicago. And if I'm remembering right, you know, obviously the standards were super high. There was also tremendous competition yes. among the gospel groups. Yeah. People were just ferociously working on their art all the time, right, you right, know. Right, right. But I would say to that, I at, at the same time, I kind of grew up in the black church, but then also in the white church with the Anglo, you know, Saxon hymns and things of that sort. Oh, that too. Wow. So I never, I was having this discussion with someone the other day, I never felt that I actually had a home in the black church because I listened to Amy Grant or I listened ah. to Michael W. Smith. So I always kind of straddled those two worlds, which is indicative of of the different styles mm -hmm. that I grew up. I'm playing country music on a violin. Um, this morning I did I did a whole session with our buddy Green this morning playing country music and trading solos. He's on the harmonica and he's a legendary harmonica player um, this morning. Wow. Um, and so again, I, I was, I kind of grew up around the black church, but was I always felt like a, around you know <clears throat> kind of block in a in a you know in a square hole kind of thing um 
I had never felt that I would I belonged in some way. So I so which kind of broadened my horizons as far as genres. So so were you listening to when you were young? Were you listening, you know, way beyond the the two genres we talked about already? This is very classical interesting. Classical and, and gospel. It's because I grew up in the classical world, f- there was a number of years where I kind of missed the whole Andre Crouch thing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> listening to his music, I was listening at that time. I was listening to the three B's: Bach, Beethoven, and Brahms. Uh-huh. And for for eight years of my life, that was pretty much all I listened to. So then when I got around 16 years old, I kind of got stepped back into the church, um, you know, f- on, on, a, on, a, on another level because I was learning keyboards, mm-hmm. piano. And so I had, I had to learn about these other genres, where, where we are now, how did we get here? So I went back and listened to Andre Crouch, listened to the Hawkins and, and these people who attributed to the current people who are like Kurt Franklin and Fred Hammond and, and kind of got that history. So <clears throat> while it was happening, I kind of wasn't really in it. I, I kind of vacillated between um, your white Christian music and then your, your black gospel. Wow. And at times I would be into Amy Grant and then, then come back over here into Andre Crouch. So Okay, let me ask a, a <clears throat> I don't mean this to sound dis- disrespectful, yeah. but if you got access to black gospel, what's the attraction of the white Christian music by comparison? Well, I'm playing violin, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, you. you I was just thinking. Let's, let's, let's go back down to Southern gospel, you know. Yeah, Southern could, gospel, yeah, absolutely. You know, I yeah. think of Southern gospel where yeah. a lot of this yeah. stuff kind of stems sure, from. Sure, sure. You know, you go to the history of it, you're like, okay. And since I learned how to improvise on my instrument, okay, that's something naturally that I'm going to be fiddle, fiddle playing, I'm going to be naturally attracted to. So that's right. kind of what got me into that. And then again, the church I grew up in, you know, was a, a, a white pastor. But and, a black congregation. But, a, but a, uh, yeah, African-American black congregation. Um, so, uh, but also you're growing up in D.C. So aside from the musical interests, you know, if you walk out on the street, you're going to be hearing, I assume you're going to be hearing hip hop, maybe go-go, mm-hmm. which is a D.C. music. How do you know that? I lived in D.C. for a while. Get out of here. <laughs> so, Dude. So you heard that stuff, right? You know, they told me you do your homework. <laughs> they told me that. Before I came out here, they told me you do your homework. <laughs> yes, I was I was very, uh, yeah, I'm very familiar with that music. Uh-huh. Right. So, you know, and that was kind of a good thing in the sense that I wasn't too far from the culture of where, of, of, of the city and, and, and a lot of music. Um, but then I had this kind of world that I would... Uh, disappear into mm-hmm. and uh and the thing that was great about my church i mean we would bring all these different artists to our church so you know like i said michael english you know the gaithers and then andre crouch and then kurt franklin and you just had all these you know influences in your life which is i i attribute a lot to you know my church as far as my my diversity mm-hmm. and and, and, mm-hmm. and that doesn't happen a lot well, let's uh, let's hear a little more music. Uh, we played a sampler in the beginning of, I guess, more commercial work. Mm-hmm. Um, you gave me a couple of other CDs prior to this uh, interview, and one of them is called Hours. This is duets uh, with you on violin or viola. Mm-hmm. I mean, you switch between yep. those two. And uh, John Gregorius on guitar. Right. And this piece is called Blessing. Right.
So I think this will surprise people again. We've been talking about gospel and classical, and here we are in, you know, sort of deep Americana, you know? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm seeing images of the Civil War or something when I listen to that. Where yeah. did that one come from? John Gregorius and I were hired to write a bunch of music for Animal Planet and a couple of other shows that were on, on some cable networks. And so we just came up with a bunch of music, just sat in the studio. We went, I went down to, he lives in um, the Dana Point area, went down there. We went into a, this beautiful Catholic church and with the great acoustics and just sat for a whole day and just, uh, he had some tunes that he was working on and I, ha- I had some melodies and we just recorded a bunch of stuff. And the stuff that didn't get used, <laughs> we created an album. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's, well, that's, a, that's a beautiful piece there. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like a traditional piece. Right. But you guys created it just in the course of doing all these right. soundtracks. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and people got to hear you there. Was that violin? I think it was violin. Yeah, it was a violin. Yeah. Yes, very good. Got to hear you in violin. And, and your tone there, you, you've used a tone that's just perfect for that kind of song. Right. You know, right? I mean, right. a kind right. of a folk, folky fiddle tone. Yep. <clears throat> um, yeah. It, well, let's, uh, let's just give people another sense. Now... Um, how about more of a spiritual piece? Cool. Um, this is from an album you did of duets with Rebecca Jackson, who plays violin, and you, in this case, are on piano. Yes. Um, so this one will begin with a very familiar theme. <laughs> So, John, that's you on piano. That's that's from Dvorak's uh, New World Symphony, it's yeah? It's my favorite. Going home. It's it's my rendition and my tribute <laughs> to one of the greatest composers of all time <clears throat> and one of the greatest works. Precursor to the actual song, which is As the Deer. Uh, religious, <clears throat> right, you yeah. know, piece. Right, 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 right. But you stuck Dvorak in the beginning here. I was thinking of an intro. I was thinking of an intro, and I just started playing this and and it's like oh my gosh it works <laughs> and so that's my favorite favorite work of all times and, yeah. and they say Dvorak got that theme that's the second movement of right. the New World Symphony exactly. uh, from an American yes uh, spiritual piece yes yeah? he did yes yeah? he did yes he did uh, so that's why it sounds so American yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> And, and, you know, those are just two pieces off of CDs you sent me. Uh, of course, one reason you're here uh, today is because you're going to have a piece in the Cabrillo Festival this year. Yes. A piece called? Someone Else's Child. Someone Else's Child. Mm-hmm. And, and it's going to be performed on? August 4th. August 4th at the Cabrillo Festival of Contemporary Music. Tell us about the origins of this piece, because it's got an interesting story behind it. I ran into David 
Khan, who is um, a benefactor of the festival. And, we started and also a uh, professor at UCSC yes, of yes. economics. Economics, yeah. yes. Great guy. Uh-huh. And um, <clears throat> he came to a premiere of, of my piano trio, uh, which is based off of um, the death of Princess Diana. He was very moved by that piece and said he would love to commission a work from me. And so we were looking at different venues to do that. And uh, I knew Marin from Baltimore Symphony, doing some stuff with her and Soulful Symphony. And and um, and we had a meeting, and, and this is what came of it. He actually showed me some poems that um, from The Beat Within, um, he and Dennis Morton, <clears throat> and the beat within is this. It's a it's a publication that's um, um, based right out of here at, at Santa Cruz. Actually, it, it it's, actually um, it's based. In I know Santa a little Cruz. bit about it. It it actually is based elsewhere. San Francisco. San Francisco, I think. Yeah, it's a publication. We did it. We featured it on a show here on the Seventh Avenue Project a, a couple of years ago. People can find it online in our archives. But uh, yeah, it collects the writings of, of kids from juvenile halls around California. Exactly. Poems, stories, artwork, artwork. Yeah. So yeah. when he showed me um, this particular poem called "Dangle," I was immediately moved um, by the work and and heard music instantly. And this poem uh, is about what? Uh, it's about a kid sitting in juvie hall in the middle of the night, hearing a guard walking down the corridors and his keys dangling by his side and just coming into a reality is this where I end up, you know? Um, and yeah, so it was a very moving piece and going through about a hundred of the different poems, my life was definitely deeply impacted and musically I was deeply impacted by, by the work. And so Mm. that's what, um, um, inspired uh, this particular piece for the Cabrillo festival. And that title is taken from um, the title of a book, uh, Somebody Else's Children, by mm-hmm. Jill Wolfson and John Hubner. Um, it's about juvenile justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and you read that book? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And I should mention that Jill Wolfson is part of the Beat Within program. We've had her on this program when we talked about the Beat Within with her and Dennis Morton. Both of them teach in the writing program that the Beat Within sponsors at the Santa Cruz Juvenile Hall mm-hmm. in Felton here in the Santa Cruz County area. Yes. Um, and so that inspired you. Do, do you have um, any sample of that poem that first got you thinking about this? I actually have the whole narration of the piece, which myself and Charles Holt, who is the narrator who will be premiering the work, we went through five of the poems and grabbed specific lines from those poems and created a um, bigger text uh, for the narration of the piece. Um, Absolutely. If you so, want to read a little sure. bit of it, that'd be great. So this is kind of a composite, uh, this narration of multiple pieces that mm-hmm. you read from various kids yes. published in The Beat Within, right. Five uh, Kids in Juvenile Hall. Okay, well, why don't you read a little bit of it, if you could. I can hear the keys dangling as they walk by my cell, like a rattlesnake hissing in the hallway of hell. Footsteps approaching, telling me to do well. Is it a demon or an angel? I can't really tell. Voices in my head guide me. My future's on the block. Poems are my release. My mind is turning like a clock. Homeless for two years, sleeping in the cold. They say this life ain't right for a 17-year-old. Am I destined to live this way till the end? Will I prosper from it or live life in the pen? What can a Band-Aid do when the scar 
comes from within. I'm laughing at time and how I've disappeared into the shadows. Now I'm standing by a cemetery. Night stands with the moon, which is guiding me along an unknown path with its merciful light. But what can I say? I chose this life. I'm married to my barrio. My hood is my wife. Am I destined to live this way till the end? Will I prosper for it or live life in the pen? Again, what can a Band-Aid do when the scars come from within? The sun is in the sky, but in my mind it's still night. Could I rise? The shadow approaches, but my heart's without fright. Should I rise? Posted on the porch with my brain filled with splinters, my smile starts to fade and my blood gets cold as winter, but I really want to rise. Above the eyes of appearances to the mind, beyond my predicament where I am free, I rise. All of me, yet I rise. I am free again. So that's put together from several poems, including the one you mentioned, Dangle. Yes. About the keys, which we heard in that first stanza. So you had read these poems, and you had a commission to write a piece of music based on them, which is going to premiere, by the way, at the Cabrillo Festival. It's never been performed before. No. It's not recorded, so we can't play it now. We can only talk about it. Right. Um, and I don't want to give too much away, but what did you know, this text and this subject, this, you know, really kind of heartbreaking subject, what did it uh, stimulate in you musically? Well, um, staying within the context of new music, of course, the the opening, there's a lot of symbolism in the piece. The opening starts off with uh, glass goblets or wine glasses, all filled with water um, to various tones. And these represent the innocence, the souls of kids coming into this world. So the first movement um, is entitled Scarred. And so in the beginning, you hear the tonality of these glass goblets in their purest form. Mm. And then there's musical ideas that come in and kind of and mutate this life form into a scarred individual. And so um, there's a lot of rises and valleys within the first and second movements. And then the second movement is entitled Instability. And that moves in a very fast pace, seven, eight, switching different meters, um, really referring to the curveballs of life uh, that these kids already uh, disenfranchised go through. And so it ends with this apex of crashing sound. I call it the wall of sound. It's literally, I titled it in the score, <laughs> that now goes into um, the third movement called The Rise, where after this complete brokenness, what do you do with these broken pieces in life? And again, this is not referring to just kids in juvie hall. This could be any trial that you've gone through in your life, you know, a divorce, whatever, um, a death in the family. How do you take those pieces and then begin to rise out of that situation? And so... The third movement is entitled that, and um, it ends with this big fanfare of inspiration, mm. and uh, along with the narrative. Mm. So, and Charles Holt, um, um, he actually penned um, the last stanza. 
Ah, now is he is he an actor? He's a Broadway actor. Yeah, that's what um, I thought. I thought I recognized his name. Television yeah. actor. Yeah, Lion King fame. Oh, and, okay. <laughs> so, John, uh, you know, I hate to ask a, a super predictable question. Um, was there anything that you drew on in your own life to to get the feeling, you know, uh, for this piece, or anybody whose story you knew personally? I would say that. In Washington, D.C., I guess there were parts of my time in that city where I did see poverty and I did see the hood. Mm -hmm. And um, and looking at these kids' poems actually gave me the backstory of how those people got there. Because I never really knew. I mean, I, I, you know, I went to, you know, private schools and the whole deal and just... I would see that, but never really understand it. And so meeting these kids, I, I took three visits to Juvie Hall, talked to, to the folks who've, who've written some of this, and some of them are serving life sentences. And, and just... You mean they're, they've left the juvenile system yeah, they're and going, now in yeah, the prison they're, system? Yeah, they're going from juvie to county to state. To, uh -huh, yeah, uh -huh. like it's, that's, that, you know, they're never... One kid, he's never getting out, you know, hmm. so... And 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 the faces of these kids have changed. I mean, it's not guy. One particular guy, you know, looked like he was, you know, could go to Stanford. He was a very bright kid. I mean, he would sit there and write poetry just off the cuff, just incredible stuff. You know, it gave me the backstory to some of the stuff I would see in New York and D.C. Um, and and the type of lives that were actually, I would say, in the beginning, that were imposed upon these kids it's 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 yeah it's deep stuff again uh somebody else's child premiering at the cabrillo festival of contemporary music on august 4th by my guest john wineglass here on the seventh avenue project um john while we're on sad subjects i wanted to play another uh piece of yours um this one you composed i guess um after the death of princess diana mm-hmm um, was that a commission or was that just something you did on your own? That was a commission. Um, the, the original sketches, though, were something I did on my own, 1998. And so it was literally, I was in my apartment in New York. I had just moved. I was starting my master's degree, studying with Della Gioio at, at Juilliard School. And, um, and on the BBC, I heard this announcement that she was killed in a car accident. And... I heard these seven notes in my head, and um, that's the the premise of this piece. It's not totally serial, um, um, in the Schoenberg way of of writing, but it's um, but it's based off this tone row. And so I was, Music in May is a festival that's here that my friend Rebecca Jackson, who's a violinist from Juilliard, she puts on every year, and uh, she commissioned this work for me last year. And so initially it was for string quartet. Um, the sketches I had were from string quartet, and I only had sketches of ideas for the first movement. Um, and then when she came with me with the commission, she um, she said piano trios because of the way they had it programmed was 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 the instrumentation. And so, so I, piano, violin, and cello. Yes, um, yes. And we have a recording here of a performance of that piece, which is called, by the way, it's called "Death of a Princess." Death of a Princess. Not Pavan for a dead princess. <laughs> no. Stuff <laughs> no. of a princess. Piano suite, <laughs> number one. <laughs> um, and we're going to hear just uh, a little bit at the end of movement two and the beginning of movement three. Mm -hmm. 
John, of, of, of the various kinds of music we've, we've heard today from you, we've heard the soundtracks, we've heard um, some of the pieces you did with John Gregorius, which started as soundtracks, and then we've heard these classical pieces. Which ones are closest to your heart? Um, I, I'd say the concert hall stuff that deals with the topics. That, mm-hmm. That's the stuff that, when I leave this earth, probably want to be remembered by. Do you get enough opportunity to, to uh, compose those pieces and get them performed? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the last three years, it's been pretty much uh, kind of doing that, and, and it's great. I'm I'm working on a piece, um, a bass concerto for my uh, cousin who plays with Bella Fleck and the Flecktones. He's a jazz um, oh, this Victor, is Victor, Victor Wooten. Wooten. He's yes. quite famous. <laughs> yeah. He's your cousin? He's my cousin, yeah. <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> I asked my mom. I don't know. Did he grow up in D.C. also? No, he grew up in North, North Carolina. Uh-huh. And we used to do, uh, I just saw them in Nashville. I was in Nashville last week. And so, so have you guys collaborated? Uh, we've we've jammed together, um, but this will be the first kind of in my world kind of collaboration as far as uh, symphonic work. So it's basic, it's a bass concerto for uh, electric bass and orchestra. Oh, man, I wish we had a recording of that. <laughs> it's not finished yet. There I'm aren't still, very many of those. Writing, writing. How many concertos that you know of for bass and orchestra are there? I don't know too many. I don't And I mean, one. we're talking bass guitar. Right. We're not talking, uh, you know. It's, yeah, double bass. Double bass. Yeah, yeah this is, uh, I think Marcus Miller might have something out there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, but I'm working on that, and then I'm working on a piece with Imani Wins, which is a um, wind quintet. Uh, they're traveling the world right now. Torian Spellman, oboist. I grew up with her in Washington, D.C. with the Youth Orchestra mm-hmm. program. Um, and then there are various piano suites that I'm kind of, uh, that I'm writing as well. So, and then there's the Marion String Quartet. They're based out of Texas. Um, and I'm working on a piece for them as well. So, I'll be busy. <laughs> I, I only have one other recording of a concert work that you've done. Regrettably, I wish I had more to play. But this one gets back to sort of soundtrack work, I guess. Right? Yes. Uh, tell us the background on this one that was performed at the Kennedy Center. This was premiered at the Kennedy Center. Um, I was commissioned to, to write a work for the 50th anniversary of the DC Youth Orchestra. DC Youth Orchestra. Yeah, yeah. and that's... Um, so that's the program that I toured with and did a lot of stuff. Marvin Hamlish actually was the one who uh, who uh, introduced me, which was a huge honor. I'm a huge fan. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, this piece was based off the theme from a show that I did some uh, ghost writing for called Smallville. And uh, Mark Snow, who was my, one of my um, um, mentors, is the original uh, composer for the show. Uh, he did music for Twilight Zone, X Files. Um, Wait, the famous music for Twilight Zone? Well, not not the not the not original, the original one. Yeah, yeah, I was the, say, the yeah. more contemporary yeah, yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. But X Files for sure. Right. Well, that's a pretty famous theme. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, so this is that basically. Um, for I, Smallville. I, I turned it into a mini suite of about seven or eight minutes long, and um, and used that music for for this particular commission. Well, this piece may not represent again that intimate music that right. that you want to be remembered by ah uh, yeah i mean it's so funny now sometimes my television music will seep into <laughs> my concert hall uh music that that does happen occasionally uh-huh um so i was going to end with this even though this is maybe not the absolute piece you want 
right. as your legacy. Yeah, right, right. But I mean, no. I mean, it's, <laughs> if it made it into the concert hall, it'll You're be okay for my with leg- it. I'm good with it. Yeah. And, and Marvin Hamlish liked it. Yeah, he he had great things to say about it. <laughs> so. Well, John, it's been a real pleasure talking to you and listening to your music, and uh, I'm going to look forward to seeing you. You'll be there in person, right, August 4th at the Cabrillo Festival? Of course, yeah. With the premiere of Someone Else's Child. Yes. John Wineglass. You can learn more about him and Someone Else's Child, premiering at the Cabrillo Festival of Contemporary Music at cabrillomusic.org. And you can learn more about this show at 7thAvenueProject.com. This has been the 7th Avenue Project. I'm Robert Polly, your host. And I'll be back next week with another show related to the Cabrillo Festival. This one will be about the late Lou Harrison, the great composer and one of the founders of the festival. There's a new documentary film out about Lou's life. It's called Lou Harrison, A World of Music. And I'm going to be featuring an interview with the filmmaker, Eva Soltis. You are invited to join me then. (laughs) ¶¶